Welcome back, fight fans, to episode number 274 of the Neutral Corner Boxing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Montero, for The Ring Magazine, ringtv.com, and The Ring Digital YouTube, where you are checking me out live right now. A reminder, as always, make sure you subscribe. Make sure you click that notification bell so you never miss out on a live episode of the show. But just in case you do, don't worry. The audio podcast version gets released on my platforms, Montero Unboxing, podcast platforms all over the world within 24 hours. So at some point on Tuesday, no matter what part of the world you're in, you can get the audio podcast. But if you want to catch us live here on the video, it's every Monday, 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time. This is TNC 274 for the week of July 24. And I know a lot of you guys are going to want to get on the phone and um, talk about the the fun fight we had this weekend. We had a damn good fight in Texas, but unfortunately, Mr. Nelson Vasquez didn't watch the same fight we all watched, right? So um, a shit scorecard left a nasty, shitty diarrhea stain on what was a damn good fight. Credit to both Brian Castaño and to Jamel Charlo for putting on a good fight with some good ebb and flow back and forth. I thought both guys got buzzed and, you know, rocked a few times. They they held strong. Charlo made a late push to make it a close fight. Uh, Castaño held his ground, even though he got buzzed a couple times late in the fight. It was good stuff, man. And then Nelson Vasquez took a hot steaming shit all over it, unfortunately. Before I go any further, I want to show you guys. Let me cover up my address here. New issue of Ring Magazine is out and uh, just got it in the mail today. Remember, some of you might remember doing like pen pals when you were young and you get that 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 letter in the mail and it was like this special treat, you know. I get that every month with Ring. It's, uh, it's pretty damn cool that uh, I'm going to open this up right here on the show. You guys can watch me, listen to me rip open my Ring Magazine. But uh, it's like Christmas every month. I get a special present in the mail every month. And um, with this issue, the Pacquiao saga continues. Check that out. And there is an article in here that <laughs> I'm not going to spend too long talking about this, but let me, I can't remember what page it's on. Uh, let's see, page 46. And uh, this is the article that went back and forth about 100 times because of all the drama. And unfortunately, this was like the third revision of this article. Uh, you see right there, Pinoy Power. Oh, I'm going the wrong way. Pinoy Power by Michael Montero. That's me. Um, this article originally was going to be about John Rael Casimero and Guillermo Rigondeau. That was my original piece. And, of course, that got blown up because of all the performance-enhancing drugs, testing, battle, beef, whatever, that kept going back and forth on Twitter between Team Donaire and Team Casimero when Donaire uh, was put into that fight and Rigo was put on the sidelines. Anyway, long story short, short story long, we went to print with this piece, and then what happens? Boom! Donaire is out, Rigondio's back in. So I talked to Doug Fisher. We are going to post my original article up on ringtv.com, but we're going to wait until it's closer to the actual fight. So you guys will get to check out my original article uh, that I submitted for this fight that, between Rigondio and Casimero. So that will be on the site. But for now, that article in this latest issue of Ring Magazine um, is kind of a collector's item because it's one of, and look, there, there, there have been a ton of articles we've written over the years 
about fights that get canceled, postponed, uh, replacements come in, you know, it just a million things could happen in boxing. And that is part of the headache of doing a magazine in the sports world, especially a sport like boxing in the 21st century. But anyway, had to share that with you guys. So, okay. Uh, as far as today's show, I know a lot of you guys are going to want to get in on the phones. Give me about 10, 15 minutes to rant, and then I'll hand the show over to you guys, okay? So phone lines are open if you want to get in now or if you want to wait 10, 15 minutes. There's really no news and notes. There's nothing to cover in terms of news and notes. So I'll get to the chat here on YouTube, of course, and I'll get some of you guys' comments up on the screen. But there was the fight card last Saturday, July 17, which I'll get into. I'll review that. And then this week, there's a few fights going on, but really there's nothing that big. There's, there's not a whole lot to preview. So this, this show is going to be kind of dedicated to your guys' calls if you want to get in and talk about and give your thoughts about what happened Saturday in San Antonio. Uh, real quick, we got a super chat here from Feeling Dangerous 113. Thank you so much, my man. He says, um, I think these bad scorecards change, change people's perceptions of the fight. People are trying to say Castaño won wider than he did. Thoughts? Yeah, I have seen people saying it was like 9-3 or 10-2 Castaño. That, that's way too wide, in my opinion. I scored a seven rounds to five. So uh, let's, let's just use your, your comment, feeling dangerous, to get into uh, – we'll just segue right into this fight card, okay? Um, real quick, undercard action. Uh, we're going AT&T Center, San Antonio, Texas, TGB Promotions, PBC on Showtime. This was last Saturday. And we'll get to the main event, obviously. But on the undercard, um, Emil Carvidal, a 25-year-old fighter out of Uruguay who now fights out of California, Coachella, California, to be exact. He improved to 13-0 with a majority decision win over Emmanuel Alim, who is now 1-3-1 in his last five. This was a middleweight fight. Uh, so Vidal has some big holes in this game. And Alim kind of showed that to us. That, and good matchmaking because Alim was going to be able to do just that, survive and, and expose some of the holes in Vidal's game without beating him. That, that's what Alim does for fighters at this level. So Vidal is an interesting prospect, but long way to go. Plenty to develop there. They had to pump the brakes and, and take their time with him. Rolando Romero improved to 14-0. He is a lightweight prospect uh, out of Vegas, I think. TKO 7 win over late replacement Anthony Yidget. And uh, he dropped Yidget in the fifth, twice in the seventh. And then called out Gervonta Tank Davis. There are a lot of people trolling and having fun with this on boxing Twitter. Um, it was uh, not the most fundamentally sound performance from Romero uh, or Yidget, to, to be fair. Um, it just, yeah. I don't know, you know, I'm not going to say too much negative about it. It just wasn't the, the prettiest fight to watch. But Romero wants to fight Davis, apparently. They both are in the same promotion. I don't think Romero is necessarily going to get any better. He does seem to have some legit power in his fists. What the hell? Why not do it? The problem is they might put something like that on pay-per-view. I, I, I could see it now, guys. Uh, they would do... Javante Davis, Rolando Romero on Showtime pay-per-view. I wouldn't put it past these guys. If that's off pay-per-view on regular Showtime, that's the kind of fight they can put on Showtime. And because of the buildup and hype that we get because of all the trash talk, that would get some attention. And it would get people watching Javante Davis that haven't seen him fight yet, other than watching a little five-second clip of him on Twitter. 
you know, an hour after his fight on pay-per-view. So it could happen. Not that I want to see the fight, but I'm just saying it could happen. All right, let's jump into this main event. Uh, Jamel Charlo split draw with Brian Castaño. Scores were 114-114. And then, um, so one judge had a draw. One judge had a 114-113 for Castaño. And I believe that included a 10-8 round. Uh, don't quote me on that. And then Nelson Vasquez, somehow, some way, some, some, uh, who the hell knows what this guy was watching or thinking. He scored this 117-111 for Charlo, or in other words, nine rounds to three. So even the, the biggest Charlo supporters and the, the biggest PBC pom-pom waivers, you know, the, these guys on YouTube and stuff, the, the, you know, the usual suspects, even they would admit, I think, there's no way either fighter really won nine rounds in this fight. It was close. It was competitive. I scored at 115-113 for Castaño. And for me, it wasn't that hard of a fight to score. Just going by work, who was doing the cleaner punching, uh, the rounds were pretty clear. There, there was a couple, maybe two or three swing rounds. But I thought for the most part, this was a pretty straightforward fight to score. And the the wide variety in scorecards that I've seen on Twitter have been interesting. But from most reasonable people, okay, most reasonable people seem to go from six rounds apiece to eight rounds to four for Castaño or somewhere in between there. That seems to be where the majority of logical, reasonable, um, objective boxing fans and media and even fighters themselves. I've seen plenty of fighters tweeting about this fight. Uh, that's where they. That's where the scorecards seem to range. Anything outside of that is a bit too wide for my taste. Um, Doug Fisher wrote about this. I want to, yeah, I want to tell you guys about a couple of things on RingTV.com related to this fight and this scorecard. Okay, first of all, go to Doug Fisher's mailbag. If you're not reading Doug's mailbag every Monday and every Friday, you're missing out. It's 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 a go-to in, in boxing journalism. You guys should be checking that out every single freaking week. By the way, Steve Kim does a column now on Snack's website that I recommend checking out every time he posts. And there's there's a piece that uh, Tom Gray posted that I'm going to share my screen and show you guys in just a second. But in Doug's mailbag, several people asked him about the scores and the judges and what could be done. I tweeted about this, right? That's always the question when something like this pops up. Because nobody with, with a brain thinks that this was a 117-111 fight either way, but especially for Charlo, okay? If it was 117-111 for Castaño, I still think that's too wide. But if you're going to give it to either fighter, Castaño did better, did the, 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 the more consistent work throughout the fight. So, so that would be a little easier to, to accept. I still would think it's too wide. But anyway, no one thinks 117-111 Charlo is a reasonable score. So people were asking Doug about this. And Doug made a good point. Um, the promoters, this is something a lot of you might, might not know. The promoter ultimately is who pays everybody involved in the promotion. So if it's a top rank show, okay, it doesn't matter if the main event is between two top rank fighters or a top rank fighter versus a PBC fighter. If it's a top rank promoted show, top rank is paying everybody, right? It, it, let's say if it's a purse bid, a top rank outbids everybody and they win the purse bid they're paying everybody okay 
And that includes the ring officials. So that includes the referee. That includes the timekeeper. That includes the, uh, the judges. So in this case, PBC ultimately paid these judges and paid Nelson Vasquez's check. It's not the commission. So a lot of the people were saying, oh, Texas again, Texas, Texas, Texas. Yeah, we've seen some shitty scorecards in Texas, but none of these three judges were from Texas. Vasquez is from Puerto Rico, right? It's an American territory, but it's not necessarily the continental USA. It certainly isn't Texas. So he's not a Texas judge, but he was flown into Texas by the PBC and approved by the Texas commission. But ultimately, the people that paid him were the PBC. That's who cut the check for him. So his scorecard going wide for the A-side, Charlo in this case, PBC house fighter, him being paid, Vasquez, by the PBC, scoring it widely, egregiously for the house fighter, yeah, not the best look. I can't think of another sport where this happens. To use, uh, it is, it's, it's almost impossible to use an analogy to another, or a comparison to another sport. But I'm just thinking off the top of my head, like with the NFL, okay, the National Football League here in America, if the Patriots play the Buffalo Bills, neither of those teams are paying the ref. The, the referee, the officiating crew is paid by the NFL, right? Because there's one central league. It's a similar thing in the UFC because the UFC is the premier brand. Everything's UFC over an MMA. Now, in boxing, of course, there's several UFCs. This is something I talk about all the time. So it's the promoter that flies these judges all around the world and pays them. And uh, that's something you guys need to keep in mind. It's not necessarily the German commission or the Texas commission, the California commission, the Japanese commission, whoever paying these judges and um, leading to these bad results. However, the Texas state commission executives were asked about this scorecard and would anything be done, and they conveniently declined to comment. So the commission is not without fault here. What should happen, in my opinion, is the PBC should never work with Vasquez again. He should be put on a blacklist and he shouldn't get any work. And Texas should say, no, we're not having Vasquez work any fights here in Texas for 24 months. We're suspending him for 24 months. The Nevada State Athletic Commission, which tends to kind of run the athletic commissions here in America, they should suspend Vasquez. That's what you should see happen. None of that's going to happen. That's the issue. That's the issue. The promoters, the commissions, the people involved, the power structure, they're not doing anything about it. They're not going to. So what I've been saying for the longest time is the fighters need to take control of this situation. If I'm a fighter going into a fight and it's fight week in whatever state, let's say I'm fighting in Florida, in the Florida commission, this is what happens, guys. The week of the fight, the commission will hand a pool of ring officials, a bunch of names, maybe it's a dozen names, whatever, to the promotion and say, here is our approved ring officials for this fight. Here are the referees that are going to be working. Here are the judges. A few of these guys are going to be judges and referees. They're going to swap back and forth depending on the fights. Do you object to any of these people? Okay. And the promotion, the fighters, whoever, they have the right to say, yeah, we don't approve of this person and that person. Now the commission can say, well, we don't give a shit. But ultimately, who is the product in this whole thing? 
Who's the product? Who, who, are, who are we watching? Who are we paying to see? It's the fighters, correct? Most of us, like 95% of us, don't give a fuck if it's Al Heyman or Bob Arum or the WBC or the IBF. There's only a few crazy, wacky people on YouTube that really tend to care about that shit. The rest of us don't give a fuck. We care about the fighters involved, right? The fighters have all the power, guys. So I don't give a shit if you're a B-side. If you're a B-side going up against an A-side and you see Nelson Vasquez's name on there, if I'm anybody going up against a PBC fighter and I see Nelson Vasquez's name on the list of judges, I am refusing to fight until his name is taken off. Now, they can find a last-minute replacement the week of the fight. It's not easy, though. You do have the power. You can wait until the fucking weigh-in, right? The, the night after, the night before the fight, the night after the weigh-in, night before the fight, and say, you know what? I ain't fighting. If that dude is being the judge tomorrow, I ain't fighting. What are they going to do? Find somebody on eight hours notice, right? You can do that. If that's what it takes to get that person's name off the list, fighters have control. The problem is a lot of times their team is not looking out for them and not saying, hey, man, this judge looks suspicious. It's not up to the fighter to know the history of all these judges. That's up to their team, their trainer, their manager, their advisor, whoever, to chime in and say, look, man, I've seen this judge screw up a lot of scores. We should get this guy off the list or this woman in the case of Adelaide Bird and others. We should get this person off the list. The team should look after the fighters. You don't see that enough. Also, a lot of fighters let themselves get bullied into this B-side, A-side thing where they're basically told by the promoter, hey, you want off? Cool. You, you don't want to fight tomorrow? We'll find a replacement. We'll fly somebody in here. And Hey, man, you're going to make $200,000 tomorrow. I guess you don't want to get paid. You can just go home. Here's a ticket. You and your team could go home and you ain't getting paid. And so the fighters will say, shit, because oh, they got a whole team of people depending on them. Everybody wants their 10%, right? And they get kind of get bullied into going with it and, and going into a fight, knowing that there's corrupt, I'm going to use the fucking word, corrupt ring officials working the fight or working the event in general. So that happens all the time. It is up to these fighters and their team, though, to have a fucking backbone and to start stepping up because the commissions and the promoters and the networks ain't going to do a motherfucking thing about it. That's the truth, guys. It is up to the damn fighters themselves. Mark Ashley with the super chat. Thank you so much, Mark. He says, I have grown so suspect over how judges even get a job when I see cards like 117, 111. Is there just a great deal of nepotism? Boxing's rep seems very vulnerable in 2021. Yeah, there is nepotism. I mean, in the Texas State Commission, very there's a lot of nepotism there. But um, there, guys, look, boxing is part of the sports industry. The sports industry is part of the entertainment industry. The entertainment industry is full of nepotism. Look at the fucking media. Look at some of the guys that weren't even around two or three years ago, and they're getting spots, uh, you know, like uh, promotional uh, pieces on big network shows. Look at their last name, right? There's plenty of nepotism in, in fight media. And, um, you know, some, sometimes you sleep your way up. Sometimes you schmooze your way up. Sometimes you drink your way up. There's different ways that people kind of skip in line. 
That happens in boxing, uh, just like every other form of the entertainment industry. And of course, the judges and everything, that, that's a part of it. So yeah, that is a part of it. Got another, oh, CJ Duncan with the super chat. Thank you so much, CJ. He says, promoters should not foot the bill for judges. Yes, it, it, you're absolutely right. And that's what my man Doug was talking about in his mailbag. Uh, it was a great mailbag as usual. And he was just saying, look, man, it, like the promoters should not be paying these people. Because again, even if th th there was zero corruption involved here, okay, and there's zero evidence of that. So, so I'm going to just point to just ineptitude. That's just what I'm going to point to in this particular instance. Even if it was just, to use a completely cliche statement, it was just Nelson Vasquez having an off night, a bad night at the office, right? I know, that's probably making a lot of you cringe. But let's just say that really was the case. It's a really bad look for PBC because they're paying him. So PBC shouldn't be put in that position to look bad. Somebody else should pay the judges. And we need to find a way to do that. I think in the United States, I've been saying this forever. I, look, I'm a small government guy. I don't think throwing money at problems and stuff usually is not the way to fix them. But in this case, the United States has all these different state athletic commissions. And to me, that system is broken. I've written about this in, in articles. I've talked about this on shows for years. There needs to be a federal commission, one federal commission. And there needs to be a limited pool of judges and they should go through constant training and there should be accountability. People should be put on suspensions for six months, 12 months, 18 months, depending on what the, um, what, what the reasoning for it is. Like if you have a bad scorecard, right? Okay. Maybe you're put on a, the naughty list for six months, but maybe the second time it's 12 months, maybe the third time it's 24 months. I don't know. I, I you know, I'm not going to, set the parameters here, but I think that something like that is um, what we should have. A federal commission that sets the standards, all the states have to follow those rules, and you have universal, streamlined drug testing, weight management, all that kind of stuff, and the ring officials, the judges, all get the exact same training and are held to the exact same standard. You're not getting that right now. So a, a promoter, look, PBC might be like, yo, I don't want no part of Nelson Vasquez. Uh, a little too much heat right now. But who's to say Matchroom doesn't call him? Eddie might call him to go over to the UK and, and score a fight over there. They have some shitty judges over there too. So it, it's all over the place. This, this is not limited to Texas or to PBC, to, to one promoter or one state, one jurisdiction. It's all over the place. And the, the biggest issue is it's kind of like, as I've said before, bad teachers unions, bad police unions where you could just kind of hide a really bad cop or a really bad teacher and reshuffle them and move them to a different school, move them to a different police station, a different precinct, but you're not getting rid of the problem. And that's kind of how boxing operates, like a really shitty teacher's union, a really shitty police union. That's just how it operates, man. So, so bad officials get protected in the current system. And that's what we saw right here. All right, let's talk about the actual fight for a second. All right. And then I'm going to get to some calls, but first of all, I don't like the word robbery to describe this fight. I got to say, and this is going to piss off some of you, I'm actually okay with the draw. I'm okay with it. It's not how I score the fight, but I'm okay with it because it was a close fight, and there were a few swing rounds. 
I want to say like maybe don't quote me here, but maybe like the fifth, the sixth, one of the late, the championship rounds was a swing round. So there were two or three swing rounds there. If you give those all to Charlo, it's a draw. Now I like to split swing rounds. Okay. That's the way I usually score. I, I split swing rounds. Um, doing that organically is difficult, but I'm just saying in general, that's the way I try to score. So if you split the swing rounds in this fight, you have Castaño winning a close fight. That's how I scored it. 115-113 Castaño. But if you give all the swing rounds to Charlo, you can have a draw. So I mention it because it is within the realm of possibility. All right. Um, so I'm okay with it. But the 117-111 score, that feels like that dude, Nelson Vasquez, I'm not going to say he had a scorecard filled out before the show started, but he had the winner in mind before the show started. He felt, look, I predicted Charlo. You guys heard my preview last week. I actually predicted a 117-111 kind of fight. Now, for the record, part of my prediction is that I felt every close round would go to Charlo. That's just what I thought would happen. But that's obviously not what took place in this fight. It was more competitive than I thought it would be. It was a mixture of maybe overrating Charlo and underrating Castaño, maybe a mixture. Um, and I'll talk about these guys' level in just a minute. But um, again, you know, I don't want to use the word robbery. I do think that word gets overused. And, and I think that it's important we don't misuse that word. We live in an era, guys, where so many words get overused and abused. I just go to Twitter. Words that end in IST get overused. It, words that end in RY is a robbery. They get overused. Boxing Twitter, words like exposed, robbery. Uh, what are some other ones? A hype job, right? There's certain buzzwords and buzz phrases that just get overused. Not a robbery. Just not, not the best decision. But look, if Vasquez, had, let's say Vasquez had scored this 114-114. I don't think anyone's bitching. I think everyone's happy and everyone's like, cool. We have a draw. I edged it for Castaño, but cool. Draw is cool. Let's see this again. That, that's probably the attitude people would have. But when you have a scorecard like that, it leaves a stain. And that's what people are remembering more than the fight itself, which was actually a pretty damn good fight. Let's be honest. This was a good fight. Uh, CompuBox, because everyone's favorite subject, CompuBox. So in terms of jabs, Charlo won the battle of the jab. He landed 53 jabs to just nine for Castaño. Now, normally, I would say that really points to the winner of the fight. In this instance, though, there's a couple of distinctions, okay? But the first one is Castaño is not a jabber. It's not what he does. And he was the shorter guy, smaller guy, trying to work his way inside. He wasn't going to win the battle of the jab. We knew that going in. It's not as if these were two even jabbers, okay? Charlo, that's what he does. He jabs all night. If he sees an opening and he knows that there's absolutely no way he's going to get counterpunched and he feels very, very safe, he'll go for it or throw some power punches. He doesn't take chances, though. He's not that kind of fighter. So he's going to stay on the back foot and jab and just use his height and reach advantages. So that doesn't surprise me. Now, I did expect Castaño to land more than nine of them, but when you go to the power punching category, it's 164 to 98 for Castaño. And that, to me, is pretty telling because, again, he's this smaller, shorter guy. Isn't as fast as Charlo, right, with his feet or his hands. And he's landing that many more power punches. That's pretty telling. That is more telling to me 
than Charlo winning the battle of the jab. But it should be counted. Body punching in this fight was even. I did think Castaño would do a little bit more body punching than he did. Castaño's body punches were more effective than Charlo's, but Charlo's punches upstairs were more effective than Castaño's. Okay. So all things considered, pretty even. Okay. But round by round, which is how you score boxing matches, Castaño did more work. He was more active. He threw more punches. He landed more punches. And I think eight or nine of the 12 rounds in terms of power punches, I want to say it was like 10 of the 12 rounds. So he was just a more active guy. So again, if you were going to shade a close round one way, I think it goes to Castaño. <clears throat> Let's see what else. Um, oh, I thought it was very interesting. Derek James, Derek James, trainer of Jermel Charlo in the corner told him before the final round, you need a knockout. What does that tell you? Derek James, former trainer of the year, Derek James, telling Charlo, you need a knockout to win. Okay. He wasn't saying that to hype his fighter up. He wasn't playing psychology there. He was being honest. He felt that his man was behind. So even the hardcore Charlo fans, the hardcore Al Heyman, PBC, ride or die dudes out there on these YouTube channels and stuff, you got to listen to that and you got to hear that and you got to absorb that. That tells you something. When Derek James is telling Jamel Charlo, you need to knock this dude out to win, that's all I needed to hear. So people out there that are trying to defend that 117-111 scorecard, dude, even Derek James disagrees with you. <laughs> Charlo had a big second round and a big 10th round. He clearly won those rounds, but it was neither one was a 10-8. Some of you out there were saying those were 10-8 rounds. Sit the fuck down. Grow up. Okay. They were wide rounds, but not 10 8, dude. I'm trying to think of an example of a 10 8 round without a knockdown. There have been some. Okay. But this, that's not what happened in this fight. There were no 10 8 rounds in this fight. Slow down with all that bullshit. So Charlo had two big rounds. And Charlo's two big rounds were bigger rounds than any rounds Castaño had. Okay. However, we score boxing round by round. It doesn't matter if you won your rounds bigger than I won my rounds. If I won more rounds than you, I won the fucking fight. Because I saw that on Twitter too. Oh, well, Charlo had the big second and 10th round. Cool. That's two rounds, bro. There's 12 rounds in a championship fight. Uh, okay. What's next? Mandatories are due for both fighters. Uh, Tim Zhu is the WBO mandatory for Brian Castaño. And there is enough, enough financial incentive, dare I say more financial incentive, for Castaño to travel to Australia and fight Zoo than there would be fighting Charlo again. We might see that fight next. The only way that gets busted up is if Uncle Al says, hey, Brian, chill out. Wait until... Quarter one, 2021, you both sit your butts on ice for the rest of the year. Quarter one, I'm sorry, quarter one, 2022, we're going to go Showtime pay-per-view. And yeah, 80,000 people will buy it, but they're going to pay $80. And we'll whack that in half and you get it. So you'll get more money sitting on your ass till early next year to fight on a pay-per-view that only a few people will see instead of going to Australia and fighting Tim Zhu in quarter four this year. So that's going to be interesting to see how that works out. And for, um, for Charlo, he's got a couple mandatories. 
So I don't know how that's all going to play out. There's a million different ways. I want to share my screen real quick and show you something Tom Gray did. I want you guys to bookmark this and keep an eye on it, okay? So what Tom is going to start doing is a series called Mark Your Card, all right? So check out my screen here. And he's going to start doing these for every time we see a shit scorecard. This is what he, I think he's already done a couple of these. But he gives you some details here, data to fight, weight class, quick storyline, quick recap, gives you his scorecard, which is pretty much exactly what I had, 115, 113, Castaño. Then he gives you the official judge's scorecards. He gives you a copy of the actual scorecard, a photo of it, where we can see here where um, Vasquez, or, yeah, yeah, Nelson Vasquez gave Charlo five of the first six rounds. Man, that's just crazy, dog. That's just crazy. And then he gave him four of the last six. Insane. And then he, um, Tom inserts a, a graphic here from a poll that Ring Magazine did over the weekend asking you guys who won the fight. Over three quarters of you said Castaño. And that's that. So I want you to look out for these, okay? Uh, bookmark this and look for these. He's going to call these Mark Your Card. And he's going to track these shitty scorecards. This way, there is a, a track record, a paper trail, if you will, where you can go to to get details on these sorts of events because they don't exist very much. <clears throat> All right. Before I get to your calls, I want to do a quick preview of what we got coming up this week. Not a whole hell of a lot, but a few interesting notes. Uh, Thursday, July 22nd. Murat Gassiev, remember him? Uh, he's scheduled to fight in Moscow. And this will be only a second fight since he lost to Oleksandr Usyk back in July of 2018. So, dude, it's been three years. This will be a second fight in three years. And let's see if it goes through, because he's been scheduled to fight several times, and those fights have fallen through. Friday, July 23rd, there is a showbox card from Nebraska brought to you by King's Promotions. And this is the only televised card in America this week. Saturday, July 24th, Queensbury Promotions from Wembley Arena in London, UK. This is on BT Sport, but it's not picked up by ESPN Plus here in the United States. I, I can't find any American TV or streaming service that picked up this card. But Joe Joyce, undefeated heavyweight prospect, is going to fight Carlos Takam. Very experienced fighter. Takam has been in there with everybody. Joyce's last fight was a KO, a KO 10 win over Danny Dubois in November. And Takem fought, um, well, he had back-to-back -back losses in 2017 and 2018, but he's 4-0 since. However, it's against really bad opposition. Joe Joyce is 35. He's old for a prospect, but not really in boxing years. He hasn't taken a lot of wear and tear. Takem is 40, and he's much older in boxing years. Joyce went pro in 2017, and Takem went pro in 2005. He's been in there with everybody. He's been knocked out. He's had some really, really rough fights. What's interesting about this fight to me is Joyce is six foot six, 80 inch reach. Takam is six foot one, but also has an 80 inch reach. So he's a short guy. He can get under punches. He can make things awkward. He's in, uh, has a ton of experience, but he also has long ass arms. And I do think he's going to cause Joyce some problems. This is good matchmaking for him. This is going to be good learning on the job for Joe Joyce. Really sucks that I can't watch this in America. 
Also on this card, a, uh, a Commonwealth welterweight fight. Chris Jenkins, a Welshman, going up against Ikao Isuman, Isuman from a native from of Botswana, but now fighting out of Nottingham. So that is what's up this week, man. Not a whole lot to preview at all, but that is what's going on. Let me see. I think I missed a couple super chats. Let me make sure I hit these before we go to the phones. You guys sit tight on the phones for just a few seconds here. Trini with the super chat. Thank you so much, Trini. Good to hear from you, man. And he just says, sup, bro. What's up? Thanks, man. Appreciate that. CJ Junkin with another super chat. Thank you, CJ. Uh, it says, PSA, if you're not the A-side and on enemy turf, you've already, you're already down three rounds at the opening bell, won't get any swing rounds, and without a knockdown, a draw at best. <sighs> Sadly, CJ, you are correct a lot of these times. You are correct, sad, but true. All right, let's go to the phones here. We got a bunch. All right, let's jump right to it. Bunch of you guys have been hanging out on hold. 570, you're on the show. What's up? Hey, Mike. Like like always, you got the bases covered. Um, <laughs> so I'm not going to delve into too much you already talked about. But, uh, yeah, the only three scorecards you could have for that fight was a draw, 115-113, and 116-112 for Castaño. Yeah. Everything else, you, you know, you're really – you know, you're, you're getting corrupt there. And that judge, I, I did my research on him. 1987 was his first uh, world championship bout. So he has experience and he has a pretty good record. So we can't say it's ineptitude. Um, bad night, that's, you know, people's uh, opinion. But like you said, when you pay the judges and you're the promoter, it's pretty evident that all these weird scorecards are always for the fighter that's the A side, like we saw with Canelo and Golovkin. Adelaide Bird with that crazy scorecard. I mean, I could go on and on. You could even trace back to Whitaker Chavez in San Antonio, where um, I don't know if it was Mickey Van or Mickey Duff. I don't know. There, there were some uh, crazy judges in that fight, as we all know, and had a draw. So if, if boxing could find a way to get away from having the promoters do the payments, I mean, that would be a huge, huge step in the right direction. Just imagine like a New England Patriots paying their referees. Exactly. Uh, against the Miami Dolphins, for instance. Right. Yeah, but it, you, you can't have it. So you might as well just eliminate it all. But uh, as, as far as I'm concerned, what we're missing out on is the HBO pre-fight scale, unofficial scale. I thought Charlo was about 180 pounds hmm. on fight night and Castaño maybe 165 at best. I thought he was, I thought he had a, a 20-pound weight advantage, maybe even more, 185. And Castaño did not let the bigger man bully him, except in the later rounds where that weight really took took shape. But if you look at Charlo, his build was exactly that of Michael Spinks when he fought Kyle Wee. Hmm. I know you, you can't really say, well, he weighed this much. How is Charlo making 156 or uh, 154? That's absolutely Yeah, he was 153. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of amateurs. Yeah, he was That's 153. There's got to be something going on there. Because when he got in that ring, he could see the neck muscles bulging, the back muscles popping. Um, I, I mean, I know everything there is to know about steroids back in the, the early days, okay? And maybe not now. But was there VADA testing for this fight? No. No. Do you know offhand? No, there was well, not. That, that explains it. Yeah. I mean, that explains it right there. I got to hand it to Castaño because he beat up the bigger man. He hurt him in the in was a third or fourth round with the left hook twice almost dropped Charlo and 
he really took it to him. I give him credit. And uh, Charlo was exposed. And uh, that's basically all there is to that. Hmm. I just wish HBO, their pre-fight scale, can somehow come back into boxing. But it doesn't seem like these fighters want it. I think that's a, a step in the right direction. Yeah, I agree. I, I would love I mean, to know what those guys weighed uh, going into the ring. Literally, not the morning of the fight, but actually the evening of the fight. Because it looked like and I, shit, a, a super middleweight versus a welterweight at times in there. You know, it really did. That's what it was. Castanio yeah. looks like a welterweight. I think he can make 147. If Spence, who he fought in the amateurs, makes 147, mm-hmm. who started his career at 154, I don't see why he can't make that that way him and him and zoo both can make 147 if they tried i i that that baffles me why they're not shrinking down it's just the american fighters like to to play that weight advantage yeah. just like uh a couple months ago we saw boots ennis he looked like a light heavyweight against that fighter that one fighter he looked like he just he was like coming up from 140 that was a huge disparity in size this fight reminded me of that the only difference is ennis blew him out yeah well, Tarlo couldn't couldn't push this guy around that shows how skilled a fighter castano was and that only overshadows how big a rock well i'm not gonna say robbery because yeah it could have been a draw if he scored every swing around like you said right but i think based on the weights if judges had access to that as well and and then mm. had that in as, as a criteria to score fights the smaller man was bullying the bigger man he outlanded him he was pressuring the bigger man that should count for something so you know again there's got to be some more logic in boxing and, and we as fans and you as the media, we have more power than uh, we know. And if the consumer can step up and say, Hey, we're not going to buy this, this anymore. You know, you have power to wield. Yeah. So um, I'm glad you're in the media calling it out. You know, you're one of the journalists who, uh, you know, you're not pandering to anybody and we need that. We need accountability. And like the other caller said about um, judges being held accountable that needs to happen where fighters see their names and say, no, yeah. I don't, I'm not trust this guy. I, I don't want him. There needs to be more of that. Instead of about gloves, it needs to be more about, Hey, who's refereeing and who's judging. <laughs> Cause I guarantee if, if Golovkin's people and Kovalev's people spoke up about who was a referees in their fight and who the judges were, they could have avoided a lot of problems. Um, and another thing with that, if you take out, the judges like maybe a couple of days before who's to say that money hasn't transversed um, to the, the judge yet. And then they move them out and you bring a new judge in right at the last minute. That's going to dissuade a lot of promoters from buying off judges. You know, if you, if you like the movie untouchables, yeah. they did when they removed the jury yeah. that was bought off. Why don't you do the same in boxing? At least have the threat of it being there. So now maybe, Hey, if I'm golden boy and maybe I'm not going to, you know, persuade Adelaide bird with a sweetener or whatever, because maybe <laughs> she might not even be the referee. There should, there has to be something there where there's going to be five, a pool of five or six judges and they get selected the day of the fight, maybe to, uh, hmm. to quit the tampering and the, uh, the obvious corruption. Hmm. So I'm hoping the callers might jump on that because again, there's not much more we could say about the, the fight itself. You pretty much explained it. It was what it was. It was an easy fight to score. Yeah. It wasn't scored properly, and it was scored for the A-side fighter to benefit. So, again, hoping callers will 
you know, we'll follow up, but I'm going to let you get to them and I'm going to listen and see what you have to say. Okay. Thanks a lot. <clears throat> Thanks a lot. Fat. I appreciate it, man. Hey, you called it last week. You called it. Cause you said this was going to happen. Yeah. And yeah. And, and take down account when, um, music fights. AJ, oh yeah. It's going to be the same thing. That's going to so be interesting. When you're in this fight, like I did last week, I just didn't think Charlo was going to get a job. I thought I was going to, I thought he was going to get the decision because of the corruption. Luckily, I had a little bet on the uh, the draw, eighteen to one. But beware, buyer beware on the on the uh, the Usyk AJ fight. It's going to be the carbon copy. This has to stop in boxing. So maybe if we get out in front of that fight, have some accountability before that fight, maybe that could change okay. at least the appearance of what's on well, what's on uh, in store the minute i find out who those judges are for that fight i'm going to be tweeting it out blasting it out there and we'll see what we can do man but uh good stuff that good right. stuff man all right thank you i'll be listening all right brother yeah man fat called it and uh nacho here in the chat you know he says michael do i get credit for my upset pick since castano got screwed you do get credit you, you called it too look man you guys i, I told i thought that this was going to be uh, a decisive win for Charlo. And you know what? That's a whole other thing we need to get to real quick before I jump to the next call. Uh, Super Chat pledge from Feeling Dangerous again. Thank you so much, man. You guys are being really supportive today. Thank you very much. Uh, he says, what do you think about Charlo's post-fight comments? Oh, great question. Uh, saying he needs time off and didn't really say he wants a rematch. Castaño said he did. You're absolutely right, man. Charlo did not handle the post-fight interview very well. Um, he was asked about a rematch and he did not seem eager. You know, even if you're really not eager for it, all you got to do is say, yeah, yeah, let's do that shit. Let's run it back. If the fans want it, that's all a fighter has to say, even if you don't want it, because there's so much that you could be protected by your promoter and everything else. But for him to screw that up and, and say, well, you know, I need some time off. Time off, bro. You've been sitting on your ass all year. You guys fight once, maybe twice a year. You're just coming over a, a, off a pandemic where you didn't get to fight. You should be hungry to get right back in there and fight some more. Um, Castaño, that was his response. He, he was like, yeah, I want to get right back in there. Let's do this again. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but that's basically what he said. And that's the, that's the response you want from a fighter. Always. That's the response you want. Now, if there was an injury or something, okay, fine. But that wasn't the case. Neither guy was really badly hurt in this fight. A little bumps and bruises, you know, on their face, but that was it. So, um, yeah, that response told me a lot. And there was a little Al Heyman exposure with that response from Charlo. Okay. And I'm not going to get on this whole anti Al Heyman thing, because that's not the point of the show today, but Heyman does map things out for his fighters far in advance. And there is a sit and wait, hurry up and wait kind of thing that happens over there. Hey, take these ducats under the table, sit on your butt for the rest of the year. We're setting things up next year when the budgets open up. We can do this. We can get two million, two million more dollars if we wait and do it this way, do it that way. Right. Those kind of things. That's how they play over there. They, they maximize the dollars and they manipulate the fans. And again, this is just their business model. It's not necessarily good, bad, whatever. Whatever side of the fence you sit on on this politically, cool, it's okay. I'm just telling you the way it is. They they marinate things. They develop prospects very, very slowly. Uh, guys will fight 30 times before they're fighting for their first world title. Um, and, and, you know, in this era of boxing with so many fucking world titles, you really could be fighting, especially if you had an amateur background. 
You could be fighting for a world title a dozen fights in. There's just no reason why you shouldn't be. Seriously, guys, there's hundreds of world titles out there. They're still milking it 30 fights in before these guys are, are going for world titles. Look at the Charlo's resumes. This is something Doug Fisher talked about in his mailbag last week. So um, if, for Charlo to say he needs time off, it makes me think that there is a plan set over there on that side of, hey, after we beat Castaño, here's what we're doing. Blah, 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 blah. Early next year, we're doing this. Here's the next move. Boom, boom, boom. And Charlo, because of that preordained plan that's set for him, didn't quite know what to say. And he didn't quite know how to answer that question. That's what I picked up there. And I wasn't the only one. My boy CJ saw the same thing. We were actually texting each other. He was like, yo, did you, did you see what, how he said that? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And we kind of saw the same thing because it, it just shows you business is done a little differently over there. Okay. And look, it's one thing if you have a big undisputed championship fight on the horizon that your team is planning, but that was this fight. You shouldn't have a plan for after this fight. This is the fight. So to have some sort of plan mapped out already where you're going to be sitting on your butt for the rest of the year, that's just bizarre, man. So for him to answer the question the way he did and for Castaño to answer completely differently, it just shows you that the promotion had one idea in mind for one fighter and a different idea in mind for a different fighter. If I was Castaño, considering that point, and the scoring from Nelson Vasquez, I would be extremely fucking cautious about dealing with these people in the future. And I would make sure if I did, I at least got my dollars up the way Gennady Golovkin did dealing with Canelo Alvarez in their rematch. Yeah, Golovkin sold the fuck out and went right back to the devil's den, right, in Nevada and dealt with Canelo again, knowing what he was facing with the judges, but at least he got his paper up. And if I'm Castaño, if I'm dealing with these people again, knowing now everything that I know, because there's enough hints there, everything I just told you guys, there's enough hints there, right? Make sure that you get your paper up. And if you can't, go fight Tim Zoo in Australia because you'll probably make more money over there. That's the truth. That is the truth. Also, one more quick thing. Pound for pound. Where did all you pound for pound heroes go? Where'd you guys go? Because last week, the week before that, for months before that even, Ring Magazine was being called everything from corrupt by people like Teddy Atlas, right? Because we don't rate guys like the Charlos and Gervonta Davis on our pound for pound list. So Teddy Atlas has gone off on rants on his UFC podcast, dissing Ring Magazine, saying we're corrupt, we're a joke, right? Where are you now, Teddy? You got your clicks, right? You got all your casuals clicking your video. I love you, Teddy. You've done so much wonderful things for the sport of boxing, but I know what you're doing over there. Where are you now? Let me see your pound for pound list, Teddy. Let's see it. I know you do a UFC podcast, but I'm talking boxing. Where's your pound for pound list? All you guys that were dissing rings pound for pound list because we didn't have Mel up there. Where are you now? You guys got real quiet. Funny how that shit works. You were bitching about Gervonta Davis not being on the pound for pound list. This dude lost rounds to Mario Barrios, a guy who won't be ranked a year from now. And we're supposed to have him on the pound for pound list right now. The fuck out of here. All you guys disappear when you get proven wrong. And I'm not saying our ratings are perfect. We own it when we make a mistake. We own it. Okay. Our, our ratings are, are not perfect, but again, I will put our ratings up against any other fucking platform out there. 
We're the best in the business. And you know this. That's why you come at us all the time. All right, back to the phones. We go. Looks like we got a UK caller. Uh, 796, you're on the show. What's up? Hello, Mike. Hi, man. What's going on, man? Yeah, Mike, uh, I don't know, man. I I think that was a strict of robbery. I might be in the minority, but I haven't felt like this after a fight since Kovalev Ward, and I go back to Bradley Pacquiao. If people Mm. think it was a close fight, I disagree completely. Sam made a very good point last week on the podcast, and I'm afraid Pacquiao Spence and Usyk Joshua could end up like this as well. Whether that happens, we'll see. But I had that fight eight rounds to four and live. I thought it was 9-3, but I'll concede I might have had it around white. But there were Charlo fans in my Google Hangouts group who had a 9-3 to Charlo and 10-2 for uh, not Charlo, Castano. Sorry. I was going to say. Castano <laughs> on one, one had a 10-2. I think he was a bit wide, but no one thought uh, Charlo won that fight. A draw, I think you're really bending over backwards and giving Charlo every single round. And we don't really judge fights like that. Steve Kim made a great point from round two to round nine. I don't uh, even, uh, sorry, round 10. Steve Howard, I think, was completely off. But Steve Kim made on round nine. Steve Kim made a very good point. Was there really a clear round? Charlo won. I gave him the second, but after six, I had a, a 5 1. I thought if I give it to 4 2, I think I would be the big Edward. So after six rounds, I can't see Charlo winning more than the second round. Uh, there was maybe a knockdown that the referee could have given where. Charlo's legs or back, I think, hit the ropes. But regardless, uh, you you can give Charlo that fight, or even a draw, I think. I, I can't see. I thought 9-3 to anywhere to 7-5, I can live with that scorecard. But for me, those judges were brought in to do a favor. I like Steve Weisfeld, but that was not a 10-8 round. I can live with the scorecard. Was it Steve Weisfeld that had the 10-8? To, yeah, yeah, I okay. think he was trying to... Bookkeeping is the word I think it was the USD Kim made after the Kovalev Ward fight. These judges, they'll try and make some of these fights seem closer than it is, but when you look at some of these scorecards round by round, how the judges, I actually thought this was a worse decision than Canelo Golovkin. I might be in the minority. I had that fight 7 5 for Golovkin. I hated that 118 110 card, but I can understand live why they had that draw. It was a reasonable scorecard because the first three rounds of that fight and the last three, I thought, were close. If you gave uh, Canelo every benefit in those rounds, you could come up with six. I don't agree with that. I thought you could go 7-5 or 8-4 to Golovkin. But in this fight, Charlo basically took off first eight of the nine rounds. So for people saying Lomachenko got washed, where is the consistency? And that's why at least Lomachenko woke up in the eighth, excuse me, in the eighth or ninth round. And he pretty much dominated the latter half of the second, what is it, the last, last quarter of the fight. I thought Kim Primo won the first round, but I just I just think a lot of people don't know how to score fights. And I'm losing interest in boxing. After that, I don't, I'm not sure I want to watch this sport. I'll watch the other two big fights, but I just think when people want to see a fight go either way, why do the B-side never get the benefit of the doubt? Like, uh, that draw, I, I thought was bogus. Like, you know, there was only one scorecard I thought I could accept or live with and I don't know I don't want to get into a long run I just think this will never go away uh, Pauli Malnadia posted something said this after the Adrian Broner fight I thought he lost that fight but it was a 170-111 card in that fight and this is always aligned with Al Heyman there are other promoters but 
But look at it. There's a track record. Paul Williams, Sergio Martinez. One judge had that 119, 109. That was for bad. Williams. You look at the yeah. Lara, Lara points with Williams at Ring Magazine. I remember that. Yep. They recognized that victory because they gave Williams, I don't know, eight or something around in a fight that he clearly lost. And then Tarabov and Charlo, the other Charlo, a fight that I thought was close. That could have been a draw when seven, five years away. One judge had a 11-1. Uh, I think this is corruption. That judge who had a 9-3, I think he was paid off. And I just think this is a, a track record and a history in boxing that goes back to judges like TJ Ross. The, the judge that had uh, won the Holyfield and then up Lewis fight, that was not a draw. But there was a woman judge that gave, I think, Holyfield the victory in that fight. Uh, these judges need to be held accountable, but I don't think anything will be done. And you're right, boxing is not the only sport, but this is the major or main combat sport. And if you if you line up all the major sports, this is the only sport where the fight win finishes or the was the contest, and we don't know who's won because now people are saying this was a close fight, and I don't know, like just because the fight is competitive, not every fight is close. I could concede that if some people thought Ward and Kovalev was a bit close because the last six rounds of that fight, Ward, I thought, came on strong. I still don't think he won it, but I had to rewatch that fight to uh, see how Kovalev uh, actually won that fight. Cause I had a two uh, close, I thought. I had a 6-6 six, six live, but this fight, I didn't get the same feel. I think Charlo got dominated, and did he really win more than two clear rounds if you look at it? I don't think he did. You could give him a couple more swing rounds, but to me, that was a, a, a straight-up robbery. I, I don't know what you think about that, but I, I, don't, I don't think that was, a, that was a fair decision. And if they do have a rematch, this is one last point I'll make. And Charlo wins that. A lot of people will probably forget about this fight. And that's the bad yeah. thing, uh, what's happened in the past. With Meldrick Taylor and uh, Chavez, and there's been other fights. Prina Whitaker, he got robbed as well. I just think... Uh, I just think Canelo Golovkin should be held, but I, yeah, that was a fight as well. I thought that fight it should have been more consistent. If they, if they had the first fight to draw, then maybe give the rematch a draw. If they had the first fight for Golovkin, then they could have given the rematch to Canelo, which I thought was how I scored it. But is 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 a track record. Kovalev Ward the rematch as well. I thought Ward may yeah. have gone on to win it, but the stoppage was very bad. And I'm not sure if anything will be done. But thanks for taking my call. Thanks, Hamed. And listen, um, have a good one, brother. I um, I appreciate your frustration. Right. You know, I, I share it. And you're not alone. Um, yeah, a lot of people feel this way. Here's the dichotomy of this whole situation. <laughs> it, it was a bad scorecard. Look, the other two scorecards I'm good with, I, I can live with them. They they were giving Charlo the benefit of the doubt in the close rounds, but that's what we expected, unfortunately. But they were within the realm of possibility. The one scorecard, though, is what we're all talking about. And you guys heard Hamed. Hamed is a boxing diehard. He calls in all the time. I, he calls in to several shows. He He does his own shows. And he's an example of a guy that's so frustrated by this and I understand. I feel that frustration. We've all felt that frustration, right? And yet, the fight itself was really good. If you take away the, these scorecards and you just look at the fight itself, were you not entertained? I was. I thought both guys showed us something. I thought Charlo underperformed and Castaño overperformed. I saw that. But let's give Charlo some credit. He did come back in those late rounds. He did win 
I think at least one or two of those last four rounds to make the fight close, to make it interesting. He could have just laid down and faded away and let Castaño take over. He didn't do that. And when he hurt Castaño late, Castaño showed something by standing his ground and fighting back. And he actually put Charlo on the back foot after being buzzed in those later rounds. So both guys showed us a lot, and it was a good fight. But unfortunately, we're not talking about that. And Hamed brought up a good point about the rematch, the way the rematch tends to go in these types of situations, okay? Canelo Golovkin 2. Canelo got the W in the second fight. And it, you could make the case he won that fight, okay? I, I really think it could have went either way. You can make a case Golovkin won. You can make a case for a draw. I'm talking about the rematch. But because he got the W, boxing fans remember that. They don't remember the first fight. So years from now, when I vote for Gennady Golovkin in the Boxing Hall of Fame five years after he retires, because he's a first balloter in my, my estimation, I'm going to remember that first fight where I thought he clearly decisively beat a prime Canelo Alvarez and then was competitive with him in the second fight. No one else has been competitive with Canelo since. Not even close. The guy's barely lost a round, and he's fought some solid fighters, some solid guys, right? So, so that means a lot. But people forget the first fight when their guy wins the rematch. Kovalev lost badly to Ward in, in the rematch. And, and Ward showed some real dog. And yeah, he got a little dirty, but, but he won that fight, right? People forget in that first fight, most people, the night of the fight, because I was there for both of these fights, guys. I go around and you know, I talk to the fans. I talk to my friends in the media, my peers, and I ask them questions. I'm telling you, 90% of the people there thought Kovalev beat Ward. Even Ward fans, the crowd, which was pro-Ward, was booing the decision. But because of the way the rematch went, people tend to forget the first fight because it's convenient, right? Same thing with the Canelo-Golovkin situation. And it wouldn't shock me if we see a rematch here and they delay it to next year, they do some trickery and some fuckery with the timing to get Castaño off his training camp routine, whatever, and Charlo wins the rematch, right? People will forget about this first fight. And that's just the way this it goes in, throughout boxing history. There's all this trickery and fuckery. I'm telling you right now, if I'm Brian Castaño, if Tim Zhu's team is going to offer me, if they're going to match what Charlo's team would match for a rematch, I'm going to Australia and fighting over there against Tim Zhu. That's a, that's a winnable fight. And if you can make that kind of money, and it's only for one title, so you could come back and still do a rematch with Charlo later on because people want to see that rematch because it was such a damn good fight. That's what I would advise Castaño to do in this situation. Uh, let's see here. I missed a super chat from my man, CJ, who just says, bang, 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 in my Jim Lampley voice. Let's go. Let's go right now. Let's fight. Uh, I wish I had that soundbite still. <clears throat> Jim Lampley's voice gets more and more high-pitched, depending on how exciting it gets. I don't know how his throat doesn't go up halfway through a fight. All right, back to the phones we go. 805, what's up? You're on the show. Hey, Mike, what's going on? Uh, I'm uh, I'm in the similar boat as uh, Hamed, but I'm not going to go as far as saying that I'm going to stop watching the sport because, unfortunately, 
I just love watching it when it's at its best. There's nothing like it. Yeah. So as frustrated as I can be about situations like this, it doesn't stop me from, you know, continuing to watch it. So, I mean, it sucks for Castaño because he legitimately, I mean, you say you don't want people to use the word robbery. Well, I'll use this word instead. I feel this, this fight was taken from Castaño, in my opinion. I thought he did more than enough to get that W. And it was taken from him, especially by that rotten-ass judge, Nelson Vasquez. I mean, that's horrible. There's really no other way to describe how you legitimately could sit there and give every benefit of a doubt to a guy who clearly got pushed around Mm -hmm. by the smaller fighter almost all night, was never able to really land uh, combinations except for the two rounds where he hurt him. and. Castaño got no credit for making him back up against the rope, hitting him to the body, hitting him with those sneaky right hands over and over all night. I mean, if there's not a bigger indictment of how badly, to me, Charlo was performing or and or losing, is that his own trainer yep. was yelling at him in the corner, you need a knockout to win. I mean, at, at that point, there's no dispute that he was losing that fight. And when they called it a draw, he was very relieved to be walking out of there with those belts because, like you said, Mike, Castaño is not a PBC guy. He's affiliated uh, with them because Lykowitz and a couple other people behind the scenes brought him in, but he's not one of their guys. So if he would have won and walked away with all four belts, Al Heyman is left with a lot of egg on his face a bunch of guys in that division and no titles available to him unless he goes out of his way to overpay Castaño to defend them on his side of the street. But, you know, it, it is what it is. It, 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 it sucks for Castaño that this fight was taken from him because he deserved the win. Um, and like you said, Charlo didn't sound all that enthused to me about a rematch, mm-hmm. and that's pretty telling. But also, too, I think what they're going to do, like you said, Mike, I think they're going to pull the whole, well, we got mandatories and we're going to, um, you know, go ahead and take care of those. And then maybe sometime next year we'll give Castaño the rematch. So basically they're going to let him get a little bit more uh, shop worn, a little bit more damage on him. And then eventually they'll take take him on again, you know, yeah. and that sucks for Castaño. But I hope, like you said, I hope Castaño and his team are smart. And if they get a huge offer from Tim Zhu to go to Australia, why the hell not go there and get paid? Hell I yeah. mean, why why go back to the why go back to the PBC if they're not going to pay you and they're not going to treat you fairly? You know. So, um, and then just real quick on the other fights that were on that card, uh, Roly Romero has to be one of the most god awful <laughs> title holders I've ever seen in the sport. Yeah. I mean, I've never seen a dude who fights like he does. And what was crazy to me was the referee in the fight was allowing him to get away with some very MMA-like moves. And at one point, Roly Romero did a damn judo hip toss to his opponent. Yeah. And the referee didn't penalize him. And I'm like, what the hell is this guy waiting for? Like, is he waiting for Romero to do something really illegal? in order to get disqualified, like, 
it was unbelievable. I mean, the only time he penalized him was when he hit him with a shot that was a borderline below the belt shot. But I'm thinking to myself, good God, like the hip toss wasn't enough for you to penalize the guy. Like, I mean, that's some bullshit. But uh, I did find it interesting, though, that Romero thinks that he's on the level of uh, Tank Davis to go ahead and call him out. I think Tank Davis wipes the floor with this kid. I think this kid's been matched very carefully, and he's been matched very um, favorably uh, as far as the guys who are fighting him. If he fights anybody who has any decent amount of uh, pop in their hands, this kid's in trouble. And, I mean, it'll be curious to see because Mayweather manages both guys. I'd be very interested to see if he would manage – I mean, if he would – match two of his own guys together in a fight but you know we'll see what happens uh and then the other fight with um Vidal and um um Aleem I thought Vidal was very pedestrian like uh I don't think he's much of a threat at 160 I know that they're trying to develop guys at 160 so that the other Charlo brother has opponents to fight because right now their side of the street it's completely bare, and there's not a whole hell of a lot in that division for them. But I think Vidal is a project, and I think it's going to be a few years before you see a, a legit guy that can contend for a title. Um, you know, he won the fight, but he wasn't all that impressive to me. I thought Aleem was a little bit more impressive. I thought he showed a little bit more considering that he was with uh, Ronnie Shields, and, and it looks like, you know, they're working together and it looks like they're working well together, but I'm not all that impressed with the doll. I think he's a long-term project and it'll be a few years before he's a legit threat to anybody at 60. And, um, the, uh, the fight this weekend really like the, the, the Joyce to come. Uh, I, I think you're right. I think to come is the perfect guy for, this is a stay busy fight to me for Joe Joyce. They picked the com because they, they know he's a little shop-worn and he's a name and they can put him on Joyce's ledger. But this is totally a, a stay-busy fight for uh, Joyce because I think he's going to want to go after uh, Joshua or somebody at some point because I don't think they can keep uh, – they, they can afford to wait much longer to get him uh, a legit title shot. I mean, it's one thing to – move up the ranks when you're in your 20s, but this guy's in his mid-30s. I mean, the time is now. How much longer are you going to keep, you know, uh, gradually building this guy up? At some point, you got to either go all in on him or just, you know, take the slow slow and uh, easy route. But I think eventually they're going to go after Joshua or Wilder or somebody, uh, Fury, who knows, but they're going to try to go after somebody with Joyce. And, um, and with the fact that he's got power and he's a huge guy, he's definitely, uh, you know, he could be a threat to to any of those guys because if he lands on any of them, he could definitely put any of those guys out. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. I I, I feel I feel like uh, Castaño had that fight taken from him, and unfortunately for him, he, he goes back home with only one title instead of the four that he deserved. But... You know, we'll see. Uh, yeah, that's my call, Mike. All right, Nacho. Good stuff, brother. All right, thanks. Good stuff. Yeah, uh, let's get up here. I got one quick super chat. 
Trini with the super chat. Thank you so much, Trini. said, Mike, Aleem was also screwed by the judges and nobody is talking about it. Why? Good point. Uh, Nacho brought it up a little bit in his call, but um, I think this one's uh, sliding under the radar because it was on the undercard, man. And, and quite frankly, it was, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Aleem is now, what, in his last five, he is one, three, and one. He was brought in there to lose. You know, he was brought in there as an opponent. Um, I don't think it was an outright complete robbery, but to be honest with you guys, I didn't see the first three, four rounds of that fight. I came in a little bit later in the fight, but as I mentioned <clears throat> at the top of the show, Vidal isn't anything to get excited about. He's, he's a work in progress and they got a lot to build with him. But I think Aleem is, it, it seems he's kind of become okay with being that opponent guy that's that's you know he's he's at that stage now and it's it's really up to him and what he wants to do uh going forward does he want to become the opponent and just get called in to go in there and fight these guys and go the distance and be tough with them and maybe even beat them and get screwed on the cards and take l's and just collect the paycheck i know a lot of fighters like that um you know i there's there's so many that are complacent in that process because they should not get paid as my job. They stay in shape. They know that they'll get a call. They got a few weeks to get ready. One fight might be at 160. The next fight might be at 47. And then the next one's at 54 and they're bouncing all over the place, but they're brought in by different promoters and they're kind of like a hired mercenary and they'll just come in. Hey, pay me. Oh, I got to be at what weight in three weeks. Shit. You got to up it 10 more G's for me to lose that much weight. Okay, cool. Come on in. Boom. We'll take care of you and your family put you up, get you a paycheck. Happens all the time, guys. And, and to me, Aleem is maybe becoming that guy. And um, it's funny because, you know, I talked to Jimmy Williams a couple weeks ago who just fought Yuri Foreman here in Atlanta and scored the upset. And he told me straight up he was becoming that dude. He went through a period like that where I want to say he lost like four or five fights and they were all over the place weight-wise. And he was just fighting on all these different promoter shows, getting called at the last second. And he was basically at the time said, all right, fuck it. Just pay me and showing up and fighting. And, and um, he made a decision that no more of this shit. I'm not doing that anymore. Yeah. And he changed trainers and it has a new outlook. He's staying at a, the same weight, you know, it's up to a As far as Vidal, I just don't see anything special there, but he's still young. We'll see what happens. All right, back to the phones. Let's uh, let's get through these guys. We got another UK call seven, eight, zero. You're on the show. What's up? Hi, Mike. Chris Brogan. How you doing? Chris, what's up, man? I thought that was you. How you doing? Yeah, I'm really good. Are you? Good. Yeah, uh, first thing I'd like to say is uh, I rang in last week and uh, I said that um, Tyson Fury pulled out twice uh, against David Hay. Uh, I was actually wrong. It was the other way around. It was David Hay pulled out twice against yes. Tyson Fury. So if, if, if anyone was watching that and... Uh, shouting at the uh, screen. I apologize for that one. <laughs> I think yeah, it was a, a shoulder injury for uh, David Hay, and then he retired after that, and then yeah. came back about three years later. So, but just thought I'd uh, throw that one out there first of all. <laughs> hey man, we all um, do it. I do so, it yeah, pretty uh, much every week. So uh, good on you for owning that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, we get some wrong, we get some right. Yep. <laughs> um. So yeah, I was just thinking of going on about the judges. Um, any other sport, these guys, you know, judges, referees, and things would be investigated. There's no other sport as bad as boxing for this. It's, they seem to just get away with it scot free. 
Yeah. I, you know, I really don't know what to say at this point. I, I, you've heard me bitch and rant and I've gone after Bob Bennett. I've gone after Oscar De La Hoya. I've gone after so many promoters. I've gotten on all these bad lists and, and like the WBC doesn't call me anymore to go to their functions or the WBA can't fucking stand me. And it doesn't get me anywhere. It gets me less money, less jobs, less gigs. But, um, but you guys, you know, you you guys know, I'm always going to fight the good fight, but I just, just, we all know nothing's going to happen here. Nothing will happen. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, one example, one uh, big example I can think of is, uh, you know, I'm from England, so I'm a big uh, football fan. And uh, I think it was 2005 in the uh, European Champions League, uh, Chelsea played a game against uh, Barcelona. And uh, the referee was, well, you could say he was corrupt. He, uh, he, he either corrupt or had the worst game of his life. And he was never seen again. No one ever saw him in a game ever again after that. So, <laughs> you know, you yeah, in, in sports, like, if anyone wants to check that out on YouTube, check it out. Chelsea Barcelona 2005 is ridiculous. If you watch it, it's absolutely ridiculous. But, yeah, clearly the rest of it is never seen again. Um, but um, I thought Castano won, Castano, going back to Castano Charlo fight, I thought he won it 7-5. to five. Um, I think you could make a case for 8-4. to four. I think he won seven to five, um, and I put I, I put myself a little list together of like the fights that I've seen recent, well, over the last five years or so that I think were the worst three decisions, worst three judge scorecards. And number one was um, Canelo versus Triple G one Adelaide Bird one one eight one one ten. That's the worst one I've seen. The second worst I've seen was. Uh, recent one, uh, Lewis Ritson versus Vasquez. Yep. Uh, the judge Terry O'Connor. Terry He's O'Connor had, a had one seventeen. Yeah, one seventeen, one eleven for Ritson. Yep. When I thought, I thought Vasquez won that fight clearly. Yep. Uh, and then I would say this: the the uh, Nelson Vasquez one seventeen, one eleven for Charlo, probably third in the last few years that I've seen. Uh, just. Well, what Hamed brought up that? another one here in the chat. CJ Ross had Mayweather versus Canelo a draw. <laughs> um, That's true. That's true. Never that, a draw. The difference there is Mayweather was so powerful at the time. He was the most powerful fighter in the sport that CJ Ross never worked again. She was out. And that does go to show you how the power structure in boxing works because yeah, true. You know, she screwed Mayweather over, and Floyd wasn't having that. And Floyd ran that Nevada commission. She was out. Interesting, huh? Doesn't ha- didn't happen to any of these other yeah. judges. But when the money man is involved, Mayweather. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think uh, Castano is like the new Badu Jack now. If anyone make, wants to make any money, put a bet on a draw in his next fight. Yeah, that's a good point, man. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> yeah. Battle Jack with these four draws or whatever he's got. Yeah. He's the draw, uh, man. Uh, that's a couple now. I mean, was it, uh, was it Eris and Lara that uh, Castano drew with last? Yes. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Put your money on a draw. His next fight. And a lot of people I mean, thought Oakley, he beat Oakley. Lara pretty clearly too. You know? Yeah. I think he won that fight as well. But I mean, hopefully we see him against Tim Zhu next. I, I love that fight. I think it's a very good fight. I'd love to see it. Uh, you know, 
because of the politics involved in this situation and because the PBC would probably put both these guys on ice till next year to wait to the, for the rematch, I would rather see Castagna fight Zoo this year. If that fight can happen in the fourth quarter, that would be great. Do it in Australia. And I think it would be a really, really fun event. There'd be a huge crowd over there. It'd be passionate. It'd be fun. Uh, I'm trying to think of the last time an Australian fighter fought for a major world title in Australia in front of a big crowd like that. It's been a while. Um, I guess it was Jeff Probably Horn. That. Oh, yeah, Jeff Horn, yeah. yeah and, but that was like yeah, a vacant title, I think, when he fought Pacquiao. I want to say that was a vacant title. But um, that would be that would be a lot of fun. I really hope it happens. Yeah. 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 But I, you know, with Tim Zoo, I really like what I see with him. I, I think, you know, him versus Castano from what I saw with Castano as well, I think that's a really close fight and I think it's a really good fight and people should want to see that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Absolutely. I know I've got a bit of a invested interest with Tim Zoo because my, uh, my favorite, night of my life from boxing was when Ricky Hatton beat his dad Man. back in the day. What year was that? That was that oh I got the two thousand and three, I wanna four? say. Okay, let me look. I gotta look it yeah. up now. I was gonna guess two thousand and four. Let's yeah. see who's <laughs> right. The winner gets a I free beer. I think. Uh, <laughs> oh, two thousand five. Oh, I was a little closer. Oh wow. Two thousand five. Well, yeah. Man. 16 years of, of my life in boxing were you there yeah oh so me and my friends uh we went we we went out for a night out um in manchester and then um we uh you know obviously got to the time it was a late late fight and we were like oh, we need to go find somewhere to find this fight and then we ended up at this random person's house and watched this fight at this <laughs> That's and the cool. person's house with it must have been 20, 20 people there in this like little tiny house watching it i've been it there before great. That's cool, man. Yeah. <laughs> you know what's crazy, man? Um, kids born in that year now are 16 years old. Like, I think about stuff like that. I'm like, holy shit. Like, that fight was 16 years yeah. ago, you know? Like, crazy. That's crazy. Crazy. Um, yeah, well, um, yeah, you were talking about Teddy Atlas before. He, um, I watched a video with him, and um, it was after um, Josh Taylor beat Ramirez. And he said, if Josh Taylor wins, He'll eat uh, uh, crumpets and drink tea on his video. Anyway, he did the video and he said, "I've got the crumpets. I'm eating the crumpets." And they weren't crumpets; they were uh, they were scones, a totally oh, different shit. food. <laughs> it was eating. So uh, all the British people were getting really pissed off in the section in the comment section. <laughs> he didn't even get real freaking. A crumpet is like um, like an English muffin, right? I think we would call that an English muffin here. Sort of. They don't. They don't sell them in America. Like, I've got like them before. It's like a northern. It's like a northern England thing, really. Okay. Yeah, I've had them before, and they're good, man. Yeah, I'm looking right here. I, I just yeah. googled it. Um, I'm gonna. I got now. I gotta show everybody here. I gotta share my screen. I've had crumpets, man. <laughs> they are good. I gotta say. Uh, yeah. Here mm. we go. Boom. But yeah, <laughs> crumpets. You put them in a toaster. You put your crumpets in the toaster, have them with butter. Yeah. You know, you have them with butter. Maybe have some cheese on it or something. But with uh, he had the scones, which you have. Uh, That's a completely cream different thing. And jam with. Yeah, completely different thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, like I'm looking at crumpets here. Breakfast, breakfast. 
And I've had crumpets before, and I put on here's how much of a freaking Italian there. I had crumpets. I I put butter, but I also put garlic and parmesan on it. And I gotta say, it was pretty oh, fucking that was, good. That was pretty nice. Of her. It was pretty yeah. fucking good, Chris. I gotta say. But, yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. All, anyway. all, all the listeners are thinking, what, "What the hell are you talking about?" Yeah, yeah. Now? They're like, <laughs> "Back to boxing." <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah, yeah. The last, the last point I've got is um, I was rewatching uh, uh, the ten count with uh, you and uh, Steve Kim, Doug Fisher. I know. I was thinking, like, you guys need to like bring like a new version of that back. That'd be unbelievable. We've talked about it. Um, I'm trying to think who there's an entity. The the one of the producers at Ten Count or at uh, UCN still owns the rights to the Ten Count. So I've talked about it with Steve, and we've talked about like trying to get th- that name somehow and buying it off them or whatever, and and figuring out if we could do it. But we have talked about it, and. Um, if there's any way we can make something like that happen, absolutely freaking will. I miss doing the show with those two guys. You know, I, I look up to them. I think they're two of the best in the business and they've been mentors to me. So it was, it was pretty awesome for me to work with them. Yeah. Just change the name. Different name. Yeah. Thing, maybe guys. we just, <laughs> the eight count, <laughs> the standing eight count. Yeah. <laughs> just, yeah. just do that. Eight count, yeah. <laughs> That'd be great. <laughs> all right cheers mike that's that's uh, all, my all right brother so, uh, good to speak to you again all right man yeah, have a good great one show as always appreciate it cheers man all right cheers Bye. yeah um i i have talked about that with steve and doug and um uh, maybe one of these days we can make it happen all right we got a few more calls guys let's plow through these eight four seven you're on the show mike how you doing this is uh rich from uh illinois rich what's up man good to hear from you Hey man, hey man, how's it going? I tried to call last week, but you had a lot of calls, and I couldn't get to it on time. So <laughs> it's all um, good, man. Oh uh, man, just uh, well, first of all, I just want to give you um, your props for doing a good job on the uh, on the show and telling her like how it is. So um, thank you. You're the very one of the very few podcasts uh, shows that I listen to just because you just like I said, you tell her like how it is. So. Um, and also, um, good luck on your boxing match you got coming up. It's like your training's going along pretty good. Because, um, you know, Hasbullah's a killer, man. So you got to get ready for that. <laughs> so, hey, that dude's always packing, yeah. a, packing a gun, man. He's always got a machine gun or something. So, you know, he's going to come into the ring strapped. He's got you know something what I mean? going on. He's, he's, yeah, uh, man. They're, they're doing something really good. With, they're doing something really good with that guy over there. Whatever Hell yeah. promo videos that they're doing. But, uh uh, really quick, I was hoping for a Tyson Fury Wilder two-hour program, but it doesn't seem like we're getting that today. Um, nope. God <laughs> uh, damn, but, you're right, bro. No, you know, I think... That I, was going to be this weekend. <laughs> Holy shit. No, I think I think people I think people are kind of tired of that, to be honest with you. Um, as far as the postponement for that fight, I, I, I um, might be in the majority here, but I don't think it was due to COVID. That's just kind of my, my thinking. Mm-hmm. So, I and who knows who knows what the real reason for the uh, postponement is. People have their different, uh, you know, speculation of everything. But um, I just want to talk about every everybody had good points today. All the callers, as far as this weekend's card, I just had a couple comments on it. Um, first, well, first of all, I just want to point out that the whole card. 
um, the PBC card, the triple header this week was really good. I thought the, the Alim Vidal fight was really good and the Castaño and uh, Charlo fight were like really great fights. So I just want to put it out there first before you know I get into the whole scoring aspect of it. Um, as far as uh, Vidal and Alim, yeah, that was I. That fight was pretty close. I had it a. Uh, I had Alim win that fight pretty close, like six rounds before. I wouldn't necessarily go as uh, a robbery on that one, but uh, it was a very close fight. I wouldn't complain too much of a draw on that one either, but uh, it was a good entertaining fight that started the program. Uh, thought, um, I didn't see too much in Vidal. Like, you know, he's got some good power, but I don't I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure how far he's going to go on with his career. Yeah. Uh, Aleem put a uh, pretty good performance considering I think he had like a what two-year layoff or a year and a half layoff so he did he did pretty good uh better better than I expected um now now going to the Romero uh really Romero uh he did fight um I don't see anything special in Romero and I never have you know <laughs> yeah know kind of a big deal maybe with social media and his interviews and the way you know the the way you know he portrayed himself but like I don't see anything special in him and then in a way, he was already exposed when they stepped him up against uh, was it Jackson Mar- Marinas. Yeah, I thought he clearly lost that fight. Most people most people did bad scoring, and I, I actually actually that fight. You want to say robbery? I would say that fight was a robbery right there. <laughs> yeah, I I <laughs> completely agree. He yeah. lost that damn fight. Yeah, I thought that was a robbery. I mean, I um, I thought he was totally lost one sided there, but you know he got the decision. But he's um. He's a, he's a powerful guy. He's pretty hard, but he just relies on power punches from what I'm seeing. Um, I think at some point, he step it up again. It's uh, someone solid in that division. Um, there's a lightweight division. Uh, I think someone's going to get to him at some point. I just, like I said, I don't see anything special in him. Regardless, you know, if they give him a fight with Tank Davis, I highly, I mean, I highly doubt that's going to happen right now, but mm-hmm. um, if they do that, it'll be pretty quick. I think Chris, pretty quick knockout victory for tank where that really happened so yeah um but yeah i don't see anything special him on that um going to the main event like i said i think everybody had good points today i you know the guy before i said the fight was uh taken from castiano and and i think so too i i believe so too um the other guy probably said it was a robbery i'm not gonna go like that far but um i i scored the fight um eight rounds to four actually for castiano i thought it was a Clear victory for him. I could see maybe a seven round to five. Um, actually, I had um, I, I given I gave Charlo round two, five, ten, and twelve with the, the four rounds that I gave to, to Charlo. I thought there were pretty clear rounds for Charlo. If there was a swing round, it's kind of my my uh, observation. It definitely be the eleventh round, mm-hmm. and then he can make a case for Charlo. If that was the case, and we're looking at seven rounds to five, but I even have a really big problem given that a, a draw. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like 114, yeah. I, 114. I, I thought it was a clear win. He, he, you know, he fought his fight. He put uh, he put the pressure. Um, he was, you know, the the, the effective, um, he was the cleaner puncher. Um, you know, and to me, he just he just kind of he, he outworked he worked he outworked Charlo, especially when he had him on the ropes. Yeah. He, he outworked him. Um, one of the big things I, I wrote like a little column for uh, Eastside Boxing on that fight, and that was kind of my major question was like, um, 
how well would Charlo stand up to the pressure? And then the other question was I had was how well would uh, Castaño take the punches of, you know, of Charlo? You know, he was there, obviously, they would take the punches and, you know, Charlo was able to, you know, deal with the pressure. Then we would have had a good fight and possibly an upset. In which, in this case, I thought Castaño, you know, pulled it off. Um, even though he was hurt in rounds two and ten, he was able to take it. He, he hung in there. Yeah, absolutely. He was able to, you know, basically finish the rounds on his, on his feet, he recover, and he fought back. You know, and and no disrespect to um, uh, to Charlo, but I mean, he, he he just wasn't able to to finish him off. Um, but he, you know, Charlo showed some grit too. I'm not, you know, I have to give him credit for showing grit and, you know, like like I think you mentioned, he came back in the, in the late rounds to make it interesting and you know made it an entertaining entertaining fight um but other than that i just i had a really pro- big problem with the judges scorecards even even steve weisfield um even though he scored a fight for um castano i i'm against the whole 10-8 round that he scored yeah. for Charlo in the 10th round i'm, I'm totally against that i <laughs> completely I don't, agree i'm trying to think of i'm trying to think if there's a a more recent fight where a judge scored it a penny round for a fighter. I just, um, I guess I would have to do some more research on that, but, uh, I just, I just don't, I just don't agree with that. I mean, you know, he gave the fight to Castaño, but 10, eight, I mean, what, what they gave a 10, eight round, it was, it was like, you know, you could say reverse, let's say Charlo was hurt pretty bad. Would they give a 10, right round, a 10, eight round then who knows, but. Yeah, that's know. a great point. Cause they probably wouldn't have. Right. Well, what if it was reversed? I mean, what was reversed? Yeah. Would, would they have done that to Charlo? I highly doubt it. You know what's a good example, man? Yeah. I'm trying to th- when when um when Sergey Kovalev fell, uh, fought Anthony Yard in 2019, right before he fought Canelo. I want to say it was the tenth round okay. of that fight. Yard almost had him out, and I mean he beat the shit out of Kovalev. Don't quote me if well, I he was pretty much on the feet. Right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't remember if it was yeah, the was. ninth he or tenth. It was one of the one of the late it was rounds. One of those rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And, and to to me, like like Kovalev did nothing in that round but survive. And he was so out on his feet. Like that to me, okay, that's a 10-8 round. And what's crazy is Kovalev came back and stopped Yard because Yard uh oh, like, yeah, no. shot his wad, right? Exactly. Yeah, but no, I agree. It, was, it was one of those late rounds. Or, no, I, I agree with you. And I, and I think like another like example, maybe not as much, but like I, if I recall, even the, uh, the the rematch between uh, Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury, I think Wilder was just pretty much hurt the entire round and just kind of wobbling over the ring. I mean, yeah, I don't think he got a. I don't think Fury got. I don't think Fury got a ten eight round. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> That's a great point. Like a ten nine round. So well, uh, yeah, you know, I just I. Great point. favoritism there, you know. So it's pretty hard then, not uh, to notice it. Well, I see that too because I'm like, well, why would he give him a penny of round? And I didn't think it was that bad. I thought Castani was hurt. Yeah, obviously he was hurt and kind of survival, but he was fighting back. And you know, it, just to me, it didn't warrant a uh, it didn't warrant a penny round for sure. Um, so it, I, it felt like a makeup. Was pretty bad. Yeah, it, it, it felt like yeah. It felt like a judge <laughs> thinking, "Oh, well, this will make the fight closer." It's late in the, in the round, and Charlo really yeah. needs a round here. You know, it just kind of had that feel to it, and it's just—I like Steve; he's a sure. good judge, but man, that's just not a good look, you know. 
No, and then of course the the other judge, the um, Vasquez, who said um, one seventeen, one eleven. Yeah, that it's obvious that that judge already made up his mind as far as how he was going to uh, what he's going to score it. So um, I'm sure he'll get some more gigs too. You know what I mean? I don't think. Yep. Uh, I think everybody brought up a good point that judges should be held accountable for that, but they just they won't. It, it just won't happen. <laughs> I just um, yeah don't see it, even though they should. Now, however, let me let me ask you a question. I believe didn't one of the judges um, get uh, suspended uh, WBA from the um, the Estrada Gonzalez rematch for the horrend- one of the horrendous scorecards? I think so. The WBA, to their credit, has suspended. So, so I think they suspend from the judge from working WBA fights for maybe a year or something like that. But yeah, okay. and they've done that a couple times, you know, and they've mandated rematches and stuff. So, you know, they did a couple things right here and there, even though they have 5,000 titles. But um, yeah, they did do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So. Yeah. Okay. So then there was, there was something there, but uh, it's not enough still at the end. It's not yeah. enough. And, yeah. uh, and, and as far as like, you know, yeah, there's bad decisions, but it, it, for me, I always keep watching uh, boxing. Um, like I, bad decisions don't make me, you know, turn it off because I've seen so much more better things in boxing, like action fights and here and there. Yeah. We'll get like a bad decision or maybe, you know, a robbery, but it's not enough for me to turn off, you know, myself away from boxing you know what i mean because mm-hmm. when when they do good things and they have big fights and there's you know action fights and there's you know good matchmaking i mean you know the boxing's at its best in my opinion you know so you know and, and that, that yeah. even like even uh surpasses like mma because i you know my second square i like is mma but boxing to me is always going to be superior at, at all times you know Maybe not according to Teddy Atlas now, but, <laughs> but I got to, <laughs> yeah. I've heard Teddy. I've heard Teddy lately. He's he's pro, he's pro UFC now. So and um, he's getting work over there, man. I seen the, you know, it didn't. And I saw. I it's funny that they had Teddy and uh, Max Kellerman. Yeah, some announcements after what, the um, McGregor poor year. I, I saw Kyle that McGregor. card. I yeah. actually saw that card. They had, yeah, yeah, they had. They had uh, them doing analysis right immediately after the fight. I think it was part of the, I believe it was part of the, it was part of the pay per view card. So that was kind of um, kind of funny to see too. And I just want to bring up a point too. You mentioned um, the comparison of like um, if Charlo were to win or if if these guys were to do a rematch, if Charlo wins, everybody's going to forget about this the first fight, you know, which was a yeah. draw. And that is true because. Like you mentioned, the perfect example of Triple G and Canelo, that's kind of exactly what happened. You yep. know, Canelo got the second victory, and nobody really talks about it. But to be to be honest with you, uh, they're one apiece, the bottom line. You know, if we go back yep. to that first fight, um, there's, no, there's no way Canelo won that fight. I'm one of the biggest Canelo supporters out there, and I'm, I'm a big fan of him. I like Triple G, too, but everybody, you know, Triple G won that, that fight. He should have been awarded the victory, and... Uh, Meter one apiece, and maybe I might be one of the few, but I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a third fight between them. Only, you know, like if let's say Canelo plant doesn't happen for whatever reason, I mean, I wouldn't mind seeing a third fight just because I think, like you mentioned, um, Triple G is still the last guy to give Canelo the most competitive fight up to date. So, exactly, um, that and that's and that's true. So, I mean, 
I'm not going to. And if you look at, uh, you know, you know, Triple G, I mean, he only has like the one loss to Canelo, and even that was close, right? So, <laughs> um, even though he's, I think he's kind of getting close to the to the age, I think he's kind of seen his best days, but he's still he's still there. And um, like I said, I wouldn't mind seeing a, a, a third fight, um, you know, between them. So let's but let's see what happens between Caleb Plant and Canelo if they make that fight. So hopefully they get that get that going. I hear you, man. Um, but that was that was, um, yeah, yeah. But like I said, I enjoyed the card overall over over the weekend. I thought Castanio won uh, clearly. I, of course, everyone wants to see a rematch. I hope Charlo steps it up. Hey, like you know, asking for the rematch. I did see some of the post fight inter- you know interviews, and it didn't seem like he wanted to run it again with Castanio. Uh, where Castanio wanted it, he wanted that rematch. So different different mindsets there, and. Um, Really quick, do you know what the actual? Um, do you know what the attendance was for the fight? No, it didn't seem like it was a big crowd there. No, well, I know, for, I know for sure that they they did paper the venue a little bit, and I only know that because a couple of the the ticket brokers I talked to told me, um, and I even know what vendors PBC was using to to paper the the event i mean one of them was a, a veterans group where they give tickets to veterans which is really cool but you know it just it, it yeah. didn't sell yeah. very well you know they sold thousands of tickets but it was nowhere near you know a sellout or anything like that uh which is a shame you know because it was a really really good fight and, I, and you know like you said it was a solid triple header uh, you know i enjoyed the card um even though some, there was some shitty judging on it but it just it, for whatever reason the Charlos don't sell, man. They just don't sell. They they have not broken through. Well, I, they were protected for too long. Their their resume they needed to be stepped up sooner, you know. And maybe that's part of why they just didn't sell. Yeah, cause I, yeah, that's that's kind of another another uh, question. Like from the, you know, they don't sell well. I mean, obviously they're not. I mean, they had the one pay per view card was it last year, like that. Yeah, yeah, that the car with her together. It didn't break a hundred thousand. I mean, understand that that sold poorly. It sold poorly. Yeah, um, even like Tank Davis, I Tank Davis pay per view cards are selling poorly too. Um, I don't know. I don't know if it's like uh, enough push for these guys or, or what it is. It you know, but um, they're just not. They're just not draws. <laughs> yeah, it's a combination <laughs> of things, um, but. Yeah. But I got to jump to this next call, man. We got one more call, then we're gonna get out of here, bro. Oh, okay, man. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good, Rich. You're yeah, good, man. Good stuff, stuff no. brother. All right, man. All right. Have a good All night, right, bro. So take it easy. Uh, you too. Yeah, thanks for taking my call. Okay. Bye-bye. We get one more call in here, guys. Then we're going to go. We're going to get uh, 619 on the show. 619. What's up? Hey, Mike. It's Juan Valverde. How you doing, my friend? Good. How are you? Doing great. Doing great. Finally got a Got 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 lucky and and and, and saw that you were on, uh, you were live. So cool. <laughs> I always miss you. But uh, yeah, I wanted to talk uh, about um, about the fight this weekend, uh, the Charlo fight. And I, I, I guess everybody has you know talked about the controversy with the scores. And I I thought the fight was pretty clear for Castano. Like I had it like eight eight four seven five. Okay. You know, uh, it seems so to be the score I, I most thought, people I, have. I yeah, I think it, it was pretty clear. Like, 
I, I don't think it was a hard fight to score. Uh, I guess you have to be pretty biased or just looking for things for the guy that you like if you want to give it to the other guy. So, uh, but if you're just if you don't have any <laughs> any favorites, you're just watching to watch like me. I was just like this kid from Argentina. He's you know he's doing a pretty good job. <laughs> you yeah, know? he was. Uh, you know, I was impressed. Punches. Uh, I, I, I was. I was impressed. You know what? I was impressed the most. Uh, his control distance. And I don't know if people talked about this, but I think he was always positioned and just at the right, kind of like Gennady Golovkin does, that, you know, Charlie would throw a couple of punches, like one, two, and they would just miss by a, just, just a little, like enough space that he would not land. And, and I was impressed by that because that's something that he just probably practices a lot in the, in, you know, in the gym and he would throw those body shots. And I was, I was impressed. You know, I, I like Charlo a lot. I like both brothers. I think they, that their personalities and I like how, how they fight. I think they're very inconsistent, both of them. And sometimes, you know, thinking about who, who's better, the, the, you know, the middleweight or the junior middleweight. I, I, I never know. At every fight, I feel the one, the one that just fought is worse than the other one. <laughs> and then the <laughs> other one fights them. And I think the opposite, you know, I never know. Both of them are really inconsistent. And that's a shame because I they are like inconsistent. the guys, you know, I think they're good for the business. But um, what I wanted to talk about is, is about these kind of uh, scores. You know, I, I think promoters, managers, if these are, I don't know if these are fixes or, or I don't know. I don't know how this works, but if they're doing something to kind of, uh, you know, get some uh, scorecards to look that way and rob uh, the, the right winner, I think they're doing, you know, not only are they doing a, a disservice to the guy that, that should have won, but they're also doing a disservice to the guy that should have lost. Because in the end, if you think about it, a guy like Charlo, if he loses this fight, he can come back and win the rematch and look even better, you know? Yeah. And just take the loss and then come back. Like, for example, I was thinking about Canelo Triple G, which is one of the biggest mainstream uh, robberies recently from the first, the first fight. If Canelo would have lost that fight, like he should have, and comes back and does that performance that he did in the rematch and wins, how, how big would that be for him? Yeah, because it's redemption. Ray Leonard and, and it's redemption exactly. Now people are pissed. You know, people are thinking, "Ah, this guy, he got a, a you know a gift again," and people don't like him and and start getting your salty against him and things like that. And that's part of the reason why some of these guys are hated. You know, because they get gifts instead of getting redemption stories. I I was you know, and I, I'm sure you watched the the documentary and show for the King. Yeah, and just the fight between Leonard and Duran. Leonard was the big star, even though Duran was the legend at that point. And they did not rob Duran from that win, which would have been an easy thing to do today. Mm. A draw. Or that's something. a great they point, let man. Let the guy take his loss, dude. They, that that's a fantastic take, fucking point. Because if that fight happened today, and, Leonard would have got the fucking decision over Duran. Exactly. And everybody would be like, oh, yeah, here you go, you know? And, yep. and Leonard would be hated, you know? So what happens is the guy says, I want the rematch right now. I want the rematch right now. He gets it and wins. And, uh, and, and you know, not only do we, does he get it, the victory, we get a great story with the no moss, and, and then things happen, you know? <laughs> things a lot actually happened, happen. yeah, I think yeah. promoters today, managers, are missing the point. So you, you have to let the kids take the loss. It's not wrong to, you know, it's good to lose because you come back. Hmm. Now, most of the greatest boxers ever had a loss like that. Joe Lewis versus Max Schmeller. 
You know, nobody expected that. Then he comes back and knocks him out in one round. Great story. You know, Ali loses, then comes back. You know, everybody has a story like that. The the one point that I think this started was, and, and this is sad for me because he's my favorite boxer ever, that is when Chavez got that draw with Whitaker. They had some interest there yeah. because they wanted that streak to continue because that was that's what they were selling. So they're like, no, we can't get, we can't let them lose because then we, the business stops right here, you know? And and they obviously did a disservice to Whitaker and to Chavez too because he should have taken that long, you know? But again, that's what I wanted to talk about. I think I've been thinking a lot about that because I think Charlo's a nice guy, but they're just controlling their careers in a way that just goes against them, in my opinion. Man, great fucking call, bro. Great call. Great call to end the hey, show on, man. No, no. Make sure you call in uh, again, I, dog. Well, I've been looking at for Yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep an eye on the on the Twitter to see when when you're on because I'm always working at this time. Okay. I'm always on the phone. I can't, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, be careful when I call, but but uh, no, dude. Thanks, thanks for taking my call, and, and uh, I'll talk talk again. I'll call again. All right, All right. man. Have a good one. See you, man. Man, yeah. some some great fucking points on that call that I hadn't considered. Um, it, it, the one point I wanted to add something to when he talked about uh, Castaño controlling distance. A lot of people were asking, why didn't Charlo throw the uppercut? He has a great uppercut, right? And Al Bernstein, who was trying a little too hard to help Charlo out during that broadcast with some of his commentary, he kept asking for the uppercut, and a bunch of people were asking. Well, a big reason why he didn't throw it is because Castaño was in the the superior position. Castaño maintained distance well. He had good angles. And he was at the right angle and distance where Charlo could not let the uppercut go. That's obviously something Castaño and his team saw and planned for. You could tell he was looking for it. And because he had the right positioning, the right distance, Charlo could not throw that uppercut. And it really affected Charlo's game plan. When he couldn't throw that uppercut because he expected Castaño to just dive in on him and Bow, he was just going to be able to just land that and then get a combination off of that, then turn him, right? Boom, nail him, hook him, push him off, and then repeat. Make him reset, do it all over again. He couldn't get that uppercut off because of Castaño's master of distance and spacing and angles. Uh, so that was a great point. Man, what a fantastic freaking call. All right, guys. That's it for the show, man. Some great calls today. Loving it, man. We're getting more and more calls every week. You guys are freaking great. Some just outstanding points. So um, we'll do the Friday show on my channel. All right. And then we will be back here next Monday for TNC 275. All right. You guys have a great week. Peace.